This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But then he says, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. That's that's real worship. Real worship is when we move it out of these four walls and we impact our world for Christ. We don't like the word hate in our society. We teach our children not to say it. And as Christians, we're to live a life of love, even to the point of loving our enemies. So what does the Bible say about hate? Well, as we look at the book of Amos today, we hear God saying that He hates. So what is it that God hates? God hates false hypocritical worship, proclaiming to love God with your lips and living a life that says otherwise. So what does your worship look like? Let's join Pastor David in the book of Amos, chapter 5, verse 8, for today's study. He he turns the shadows of death in the morning. He makes the day dark as night. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. Jehovah is his name. The self-sufficient one is his name. He rains ruin upon the strong so that fury comes upon the fortress. It's interesting. He calls the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. You remember, now this is like, Again, 700, 750 years before the time of Christ, science hadn't really discovered this whole thing of the, the evaporation cycle, how from the ocean the, the, the waters rise up and forms the clouds and comes again. But yet God knew exactly how it worked. And so he gave the word to his prophet to speak these things. Verse 2, they hate the one who rebukes in the gate. So again, he's speaking about the people. Somebody comes and rebukes, says, hey, you know what you guys are doing is wrong. He says, no, we, we, we hate them. Don't tell us we're doing wrong. They abhor the one who speaks uprightly. In other words, they, they don't want anybody even to be doing righteously. Therefore, because you tread down the poor and take grain taxes from them, Though you have built, how, that, by the way, that's food taxes. Uh, just a thought there. I, you know, we, anybody bought groceries lately? That's okay. But anyway, uh, though you have built houses of hewn stone, yet you shall not dwell in them. Oh, you've planted all these pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine from them. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. Therefore, the prudent keep silent at that time. For it's an evil time. Even the ones that are trying to be righteous, even the ones that are trying to be good, they they can't even say anything because the masses would come against them. It's not too far from where we're at in our nation right now to rise up for justice and righteousness and godliness right now. Do you think there's a little bit of pushback in our nation right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. He says all of these things happen, and and, and the prudent have to keep silent because it's an evil 
time. And then here again, he says in verse 14, he says again, seek good and not evil that you might live. Same thing that he said up in verse 4 where he said, seek me and live. Verse 6 where he said, seek the Lord and live. Now he says, seek good and not evil that you might live. God again, giving opportunity, giving chance, giving grace, showing and demonstrating mercy. He says, you need to come to that point where you hate evil and you love good. You need to get reestablish this justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Beloved, that is the most amazing thing about God that I think that we could ever see and declare. The grace and the mercy that continually, continually is poured out. I've... No matter how often, and I, and I hesitate to say this because some will then take this as a, uh, as an opportunity to, to keep running and keep failing, keep turning against the Lord. But I want to give this as a message of hope. In the midst of this message of despair of, of Amos, I want you to know that there is that message of hope that God says, you know what? If you will turn back to me, no matter where you're at, no matter what you've done, no matter what situation you find yourself in right now, if you will turn back to me, you will live. You will be blessed. I, I will come in. And we will, again, have that relationship that I so desire. That's God's desire. God desires to be gracious. Do you understand that, that God desires to be gracious? Do you understand that's the whole reason he sent Christ? If God didn't desire to be gracious and merciful, then, hey, why send Christ? But because of God's desire, he sent Christ on our behalf. And Christ took upon him our sin in order that what? We might become the very righteousness of God. Why? Because of God desires to be gracious. God desires to be merciful. Verse 16. Therefore, the Lord God of hosts, the Lord says this, there shall be wailing in the streets, and they shall say in all the highways, Alas, alas, they shall call the farmer to mourning and skillful lamenters to wailing. In all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through you, says the Lord. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord, for what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. Wow, I speak all the time. Yeah, Lord, come. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Are we really ready to meet the Lord? Are we really in a situation that we say, hey, come right now? I always say, yeah, come right now while I'm preaching. Okay, I'm, I'm probably not messing up too bad right now. Come right now. But really, our lives throughout the day, every day, it ought to be that time. Lord, at, at, at any moment, at any time, at any day, come right now. And he says, you know, you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm waiting for the day of the Lord. Do you realize, are, are you really ready? He says, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It's going to be darkness and not light. It'll be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Yeah, now, can, can you catch that scene? I'm, I'm running along and the lion is behind me and all of a sudden I turn around and look, and there's a bear right before me. There's, there's no winning in that situation. It, it's as though he went into his house for safety, okay? And as he's in there hiding from the lion, he leans his hand on the wall and then a scorpion bites him. Or a serpent, a snake. 
Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? And then God says in verse 29, I hate. Now that's kind of a harsh word, don't you think? And God uses it. You know, a lot of us teach our kids, don't use the word hate. That's a, that's not a very nice word. God uses it. So uh, God uses it right, though. He says, I hate green peas. No, that's not what he says. He says, I hate, I despise your feast days. And I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Tell you what, for pastors and for worship leaders, for anybody that, that, that loves worship, just coming before the Lord, these are like sobering words. Lord, what do you think of our worship time? What, 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 do, you, what do you think of our time as we come together? What do you think of the sacrifices that we lay before you? Is it the, something that you say, no, I don't savor those. Those don't taste good to me. They don't, uh, the, the aroma of Christ, is it really in them or not? Do we go through the motions? It says, though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I'm not going to accept them. Nor will I regard your fatted peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. For I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But then he says, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. That's, that's real worship. Real worship is when we move it out of these four walls and we impact our world for Christ. This is celebration when we come in here. But you know what? If this is the only time and the only place that we, quote unquote, worship, then maybe we're not really worshiping at all. Maybe we're going through church motions inside the four walls because our life outside isn't justice running down like water or righteousness like a mighty stream. He says in verse 25, Did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years, O house of Israel? You also carried the sukkah, the, the, the place of worship, the little covering, your king and, and the china and, and your idols, and the stars of your gods, which you made for yourselves. So you, you brought all this stuff with you, even from Egypt. Therefore, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus. In other words, beyond Syria. It's going to be a Syria to the far north, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Chapter 6, we'll get through that. Woe to you who are at ease in Zion. Where's Zion, church? Northern kingdom or southern kingdom? Southern kingdom, okay. It's down in Judah. It's, it's Jerusalem. It's where the temple was, Mount Zion. Woe to you who are at ease in Zion and trust in Mount Samaria. 
notable persons in the chief nation to whom the house of Israel comes. So you got both of these, those that are in ease in Zion as well as those that are finding peace and rest up in Samaria. Hey, you guys worship down in Jerusalem. We worship up here in Samaria. Isn't that the same thing that the uh, woman at the well told Jesus? Well, you Jews think that we got to go down to Jerusalem, but we Samarians, we think we can worship up here. What was Jesus' answer? Jesus' answer, no. Real worship is those who worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, you can go any place. I don't care what church you go to. I don't care what liturgy they have, what form of worship, style of worship. If the, if the worship isn't in spirit and in truth, it's, it's detestable to God. And as a matter of fact, he uses those words, doesn't he? I hate, I despise, I don't savor. He says, go on over, verse 2, go on over uh, to Calne. And Calne was actually a city that was built by Nimrod uh, back about 1,500 years prior to this in Genesis chapter 10. The, the city, or not, not 1,500 years, but the city lasted for 1,500 years. A mighty and a powerful city, but it fell. But it fell. The city that they thought was indestructible, still it fell. He says, and from there, go, so he says, go to Calne and see. In other words, that city fell, so go see. Nothing is forever here on this earth. From there, go to, to Hamath, the, the great. And again, this was a, a, a chief city uh, of the Syrians at that point in time. Then go down to Gath of the Philistines. And depending upon the timing of when this particular passage was written uh, by Amos, it, it was during this time frame that Gath also fell. We don't know if it was before or after this. But in essence, God is saying, are you better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than your territory? He says, you're no stronger than any of these others, and these others have either fallen or they're going to fall. He says, woe to you who put far off the day of doom who cause the seed of violence to come near, who lie on beds of ivory, stretch out on your couches, eat lambs from your flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idly to the sound of stringed instruments and invent for yourselves musical instruments like David, who drink wine from bowls and anoint yourselves with the best of ointments. In other words, you're living in absolute, total luxury I mean, overwhelming luxury. There's, I, I don't believe that there's anything wrong with being stretched out on your couch. I don't think that there was anything wrong with eating the lambs from their flock or the calves from their stall. I don't think that there's anything wrong with, with the singing or inventing of the instruments. What, what we see here is in all of this luxury and all of this opulence, it says, but you're not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. In other words, of the people. Therefore, they shall now go captive as the first of the captives, and those who recline at banquets shall be removed. That very beginning of this whole little section right here, verse 3, he says, Woe to you who put far off the day of doom. Well, God is patient. God is merciful. He's not going to deal with me right now. I can keep on going. Maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe next year. Maybe after I'm 40, I'll, 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 I'll get my life straightened out. Maybe after I'm 50, I'll get my life straightened out. Maybe after I'm 60, I'll get my... Well, after I'm really, really old. How old are you now, uh, uh, Bruce? 74. 
74. Uh, happy birthday, by the way. Uh, then I'll get my life straightened out. So again, we, we look at these things. No, we, we can't wait. Again, we, we're not guaranteed another breath. God is calling for us. And he says, you know what? Those that are reclining, those that are in the opulence, those that are so relaxed in all the luxury, they're going to be removed. The Lord has sworn by himself, verse 8 says, the Lord God of hosts says, I abhor the pride of Jacob. I hate his palaces. Therefore, I will deliver up the city and all that's in it. Then it shall come to pass that if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. And when a relative of the dead with the one who will burn the bodies picks up the bodies to take them out of the house, he will say to one inside the house, are there any more with you? And then someone will say, none. And he will say, hold your tongue, for we dare not mention the name of the Lord. Now, this is a, like a really weird passage, but the best understanding that we can get from it is, is as God has brought judgment on the nation, and again, man, so much destruction everywhere, in the midst of all of that destruction, diseases break out. Famine is in the area. So much has been destroyed. Suddenly, it comes to the point where people are crowding into homes just to find a little bit of security, a little bit of safety. Ten men in one home, and yet these die. They die. They die possibly because of plague. They die possibly because of famine. They die whatever reason. So they've tried to find security. They tried to find safety in numbers by cramming into this one house. They all all die, and then somebody comes up to collect the bodies. And the reason we think it's probably plague is because they're going to burn the bodies. And that's not a normal Jewish thing. But here, they're going to burn the bodies. And they call into the house, is anybody alive in there? And he says, none. Well, wait a minute, is that somebody else that's in there that says nobody's in there? Or is that the guy that goes in to search and says, no, there's nobody else in there? Then he gives the, the little phrase, hold your tongue, for we dare not mention the name of the Lord. You think, dare not mention the name of the Lord. Why, why would they say that? I believe it's because it's just so late. God's vengeance is just being poured out. And they have already rejected God so much. You, you, you remember in reading the book of Revelation and in the book of Revelation, the, the wrath of God being poured out, the bowl being poured out. I think it's the sixth bowl where the, the hailstorms and the, the rocks and everything are coming down on the people and they're cursing God. At the same time, God is bringing judgment. Oh, we dare not call on God. Dare not call on God. Verse 11, for behold, the Lord gives a command. He will break the great house into bits and the little house into pieces. And again, these countries are going to be totally, completely destroyed. Then he gives another strange one here. He says, do horses run on rocks? Does one plow there with oxen? In other words, where the rocks are? Yet you've turned against, or you've turned justice into gall and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. Justice into gall, that, that bitter vinegary stuff that, again, you, you can't hardly drink. Remember, as Jesus was on the cross, they tried to mix, uh, uh, the gall with, uh, I think with the, the, the wine to, to give to him and he wouldn't take it. He says you, uh, turn the fruit of righteousness into wormwood and wormwood is even 
poison at that point in time. Really and truly, you, you see your horses running on rocks, plowing the rocks with oxen. Really, nature is out of balance. This isn't the way that it works. This isn't the way things are formulated and work. No, you don't run horses on the rocks. You try to get them on the good ground. You try to plow where the ground is good. He says, you've got things all turned around. You've, you've made everything upside down at this point in time. Verse 13, he says, you who rejoice over Lodabar, and um, some say, well, it, it might be just a wordplay on uh, debris, the, the, the name of the little city, but actually Lodabar means nothing. You who rejoice over nothing, who say, have we not taken Carnaim, uh, uh, for ourselves or a pair of horns, uh, for ourselves. In other words, believe that what they're saying, they're, they're talking about, we've had these little victories in this battle. Oh, the enemy's coming against us, but oh, we won in that battle. Oh, we won this battle over here. I, I look at this and I, I, I think that maybe even to bring it into our mind play, maybe God brings discipline on his child and says, you know, I'm, I'm bringing this for correction and whew, I made it through that one, whew, made it through that one, but never really turning to God. Never really turning back and saying, Lord, this thing came upon me. That was, that was from you. I recognize that was to get my attention to turn my life back to you. No, I, I made it through. I made it through that financial catastrophe. I made it through that physical thing. I made it through that relation thing. I made it through this, this mental, this emotional thing. I made, I made it through it. But have you turned back to God yet? That's what God is saying here. He says, behold, I'm going to raise up a nation against you, O house of Israel, says the Lord God of hosts, and they will afflict you from the entrance of Hamath to the valley of the Arabah, from the way high above Israel all the way down to that wretched, dry wasteland down south of Israel. God says, I'm going to bring a nation in that's going to rise up against you, and it's not going to be a little bad. It's not going to be a little bit of discipline. It's going to be destruction. That's what God is saying. That's what, that's what God is warning. But let me draw home just, just this fact of the idea of God's continual, continuing grace, His, His continuing love, His continuing desire that we walk faithfully in Him. Are we going to mess up? Yeah, we're going to mess up. I think as long as we're carrying this carcass with us, we're, we're, going, to, we're going to get attitudes. We're going to get thoughts. We're Yes, yeah, sometimes we're going to get actions that we need to be repenting of. We need to be a people of humility, able and willing to repent when we get it wrong. Maybe to confess to somebody when we've wronged them. We need to have that kind of an attitude in our hearts hearts and lives, in order that God can then form us and fashion us without bringing that rod of correction on us. It's a loving father that disciplines his children. And beloved, I don't know about you, but I would much rather God discipline me than let me run and run and run. Because in his disciplining, shows the greatness of his love for me. So the next thing, the last thing, I leave you with this. If you're running far from him and there's not been a discipline in your life, 
What's the relationship that he has with you? Because it's the father that disciplines his child. And if you're not his child, maybe the discipline isn't going to be there until you realize, first of all, I've got to recognize him. I've got to come before him. I've got to give my life to him. I've got to surrender my life to him in order that he, through Christ, will be my father. He'll guard me. He guides me. He corrects me, but he instructs me. He disciplines me, but he loves me. And in the greatness of his mercy, the greatness of his grace, the word says he will never, ever let go your hand. Amen? Amen. From the book of Hosea to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, the 12 minor prophets are rich with important prophecies, some pertaining to things that have already happened and some pertaining to things that are yet to come. Join us as Pastor David teaches through these books verse by verse. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's TheOpenWord.com. Although The Open Word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, Log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link to Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. Make sure and check out our Facebook page, log on to TheOpenWord.com and then follow the link to The Open Word Facebook page. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.